Are you there? I'm there. <laughs> okay. All right, good. All right, so I am talking with Kim Niles. Kim is one of, as far as I know, one of my longest, you know, the people following Citizens Media TV that, that I'm aware of. Uh, so, first of all, hi, Kim. Hi. <laughs> I've, it has been a really interesting experience being your friend on Facebook. Um, I'm really glad uh, that you've been following this long and especially that you're taking this leap of faith and just letting me introduce what I'm guessing is going to be very foreign to you. Um, that's really cool. Um, so um, why don't you give just, you know, a brief a brief introduction about yourself. Um, well, I'm a, a full-time uh, self-representing artist, um, entrepreneur, I guess you could say. I have several online stores. I, I um, do primarily animal art. Um, I am a lifelong Democrat. Um, well, I should say was a lifelong Democrat um, until the 2016 uh, Democratic primaries. Um, I hadn't. I wasn't sure who I was going to vote for until um, my son kind of pointed me to check out uh, Bernie Sanders, and uh, he won me over big time. And then seeing everything that happened to him. Um, he's at the time uh, about 28, I believe. Whoa! Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I have two. You, you started uh, early. <laughs> yeah, I have two grandkids as well. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm three I, I believe you're fifty. I'm forty seven. I'm three years younger than you and I have an eight and a half year old. Plus we started late. I started late. Yeah, I started early. Yeah, very early. <laughs> I met my husband at fourteen and we were married at eighteen and parents at nineteen. Whoa. So, <laughs> very early. Wow. We didn't have a kid until 36. I was 36 when my first was born. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. So your, so your son introduced you to Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. And um, loved everything he was saying, everything he was doing. Loved that he went and met with, you know, different um uh, you know, Indian reservations and tribes and ev- everything. I was just like, man, this guy has to has to win. And then I started to see everything that was being put up against him and how he was being virtually ignored in the media and um, just everything that happened to him. And it was when I was just floored by my own lifelong party. I was a I was I was taught by democratic parents to vote blue no matter who because they're yeah. always better than the republicans. Me too. And it wasn't until what I saw what they were up to against someone that was running as a democrat and granted just for the election, but you know, he 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 voted with democrats almost all the time, you know. So for them to, to, to say, sure, you can run as a Democrat and then and then do what they did, man. Um, yeah, that, that really woke me up to, I was, I was awake to the Democratic Party and how, you know, blue is not always best and how um, the media was basically picking and choosing 
what they would do. And I remember seeing even a, a, I think it was an MSNBC show, which I don't usually watch, so I don't remember the the, the names. The gal's name was Mika, I think. Uh, Mika Buzinski um, and actually uh, saw Joe. They married. They just recently married. Yeah. And I actually watched an episode of theirs where you could see there was those two and one other guy, I believe, and you could see when when Mika started to talk about Bernie, they were they were like going out of their way not to say his name even when they were talking about things where they should have been. Huh. And then it was like she got a look like from the other guys at the table going, you know, like, like someone said, don't talk about Bernie. Don't say his name. I mean, it was it was so painfully obvious hmm. that they were instructed not to. So I was seeing little things like that, and it just it really woke me up and, and disgusted me. And so, yeah, um, I, I just, it, it sounds cliche now, and it's made fun of all the yeah, I, I, I woke up during the 2016 primaries. Yeah, I did too, totally. I totally, exactly the same as you, actually. I, I always voted Democrat, but just because I was told to, not because I was aware of anything that was going on. Right. Just that they were the good guys and Republicans were the bad guys. And Barney Sanders right. totally, totally woke me up, totally. Um, I've never been active in anything. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a singer, and I was active in music, I was always active, but as far as politics and actually things that like really impact us day to day, I was never involved in anything. And then all of a sudden, right. I discovered Bernie, and now all I do is stuff that is related to that. And I miss singing, but yeah, you know. A part of being woke too is that it used to be that okay, Republicans in office, you get a little more active, you get a little more verbal about what's going on that you don't like. But frankly, for myself. When, whenever there was a Democrat in office, it's like I checked out because they're the good guys. Right. I didn't pay attention to what they were doing. Yeah. You know, I, I, that is never going to happen again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is just not an option anymore because now I know better. Well, actually, I just won my first elected position. I, I really, uh, yeah, I, I, I missed that. <laughs> Well, I never told anybody yet. I actually, I'm not, oh. I haven't even told people officially at all yet. When this is released, it will have been said. Um, but, uh, I, uh, am now a Democratic County Committeeman. And so I have Dem Oh my gosh. I've Dem answered. And, uh, there was no one on the ballot. And I canvassed the day before the election. Like, Ten houses or something, two that were on a list given to me, and one of those houses luckily happened to be a house with four Bernie supporters, and the rental community, nice. which is even more surprising because of you know such high turnaround in the rental community, and uh, I got I, I can't know for sure, but as best I understand it, I got five or six votes, and I either somebody got one vote or no votes, and I'm a Democratic County Commissioner now. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I exp- you know, I'm really curious how it's going to be because the Democratic people around here know me and they know I'm a hardcore Bernie person and I'm really, really wondering what's going to happen. In fact, I understand that uh, yeah. this is an aside, but I just found this out today that it, apparently a significant number of Bernie people got in in New Jersey to Democratic County committees and some a lot of nice. white ends and so on, uh, possibly up to like 12 percent. 
um, and or the of the available slots. And like the Democratic Party is trying to, you know, say, well, you can't, you didn't hand in a petition, so you can't do it. But they were writing candidates, so that doesn't make sense. So, that, you know, so I'm looking into that now, doing Oprah right. and so on. Um, but it's just, I really wonder what's going to happen with that. Um, yeah. So, I wanted to ask you briefly. I, I would love to have a separate conversation about this, but just briefly, right now, part of your 2016 for you was was discovering Citizens Media TV, and I would love to hear just, you know, just briefly how you discovered how you discovered it, and you know, just how that fits into your. Okay. Yeah. Um, basically, I was. Oh gosh. Now I'm going to blank on names. Um, Adrian. Yeah. Ashley? Yeah. I'm sorry. Adrian Ashley. Adrian. Yes. Yes. That's. I was following her um, because of what she was. She was she was saying what I was seeing with with the whole Bernie campaign, and so I started following her. Um, and then I watched. I think it was through her. I watched your coverage of the um, convention, the primaries uh, convention, and that was when. I mean, it was like everything came to a head. I mean, everything we had witnessed, and then to see what went down at, at the convention was just heartbreaking. Um, and I saw your coverage there, and I remember still when you were showing what was so far online just rumored that they were actually hiring actors to fill the seats, and you were showing that from inside the convention, the seats that were empty because people were outside protesting, um, and that you even said, oh, there's one in my seat that actually kind of sort of looks like me, and it was so creepy. <laughs> But yeah, I, yeah I, that was that was when I started watching you, and and I believe I, as soon as I saw that you, you know, had your own uh, Citizens Media Facebook page, I I followed, and and I don't follow your local stuff so much, but yeah, anything like major political and stuff like that, um, I definitely go and and either watch right away or flag it to go and watch it later. That's cool. Yeah, there's yeah. a big big element of stuff that's not relevant to you because of like local meetings and so on. But yeah. Um, uh, in that coverage, did you follow other people on Citizens Media TV? Did you just see my coverage? Because there was quite a lot of people that were on that were doing it for us. I'm sure I I'm sure I saw others, um, but yeah, you're the only one that that I followed. You know, through to the point where I, I'm following your page now. I don't remember anybody else by their their name or their face or anything. Huh. But I know I I saw when. I don't know who was filming it, but there were um, the protesters outside and there were people basically kind of trying to cause some trouble and make it look like the protesters were causing trouble. I saw that video. Uh, yeah, I wonder if that was me. Or somebody, <laughs> I, I did cover that, but someone else might have covered it as well. Um, yeah. yeah so I, I was watching a, a lot. I was watching a whole lot, you know, and that's my workload went way down. I'm self-employed, so that wasn't good. But yeah, I was just floored by all the stuff that I saw. That's cool. You know, which that's is really of course cool. why they want to limit what you guys can put out. Right. Yeah, I really feel like I got online. I feel like we really hit sort of like a niche, a niche with with you know, yeah. like we really were doing something that not many other people were doing. Okay. Um. So. Modern monetary theory. 
You've heard of the term by now, yeah. I think. I had to go look it up because I, I've been starting to see it, the MMT as a, as a hashtag. So I was curious what it was, and I looked it up, and that's the first time I'd heard of even just the name. So, okay. Um, yeah, I don't know much about it at all. Okay. So what, like, what do you do? You, okay, so, so I guess you're, it's just too foreign to even ask, like, sort of what your expectations are or what. What do you think it is, or? Um, well, just from from the little bit that I found out, that it's the theory that that we shouldn't be uh, unable to to handle like everything we want to do, and you know, like shoot, feeding the homeless, you know, housing the homeless, um, all the way up to free college, and you know. Medicare for all, and that we shouldn't have a problem funding that because we can print our own money. Now, how that works is what I completely do not understand. Okay, that's very roughly, very roughly correct. Like okay. how that doesn't affect anything else. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So you need to, after we talk, you're going to need to obviously wrap your mind around it and do your own research and, you know, determine for yourself what the truth is. But during this conversation, I'm pretty much just going to be teaching you. You know, you're trusting me okay. for the, just for the duration of this conversation. Okay. But you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't just believe me. You should go and find out for yourself, you know, find out other resources for yourself. But, um, like, I had a conversation last right. night about, about this with a guy who says that he knows economics and, you know, he runs a business, so he knows something. And he seemed to get part of it, and then part of it he didn't seem to get, based on my understanding. And so I said, you know, a certain fact, and he said, but this. Like, he threw in a rent, you know, he threw in, you know, but that, <laughs> this particular thing, was so obviously this can't be true because the Fed can raise the interest rates. And I don't understand that part of it. So it's not, I can't like refute all of the, like I understand the basics very solidly, but I can't like refute someone who confidently knows different things and can throw things out and say, well, what about this? What about this? Like I can't, you know, I can't, I can't debate like that. So, you know, I'm not in a position to, to get into a debate of someone that's confident in their own views, but I am confident enough to be able to teach what I know and then, you know, at the end, you know, you'll determine for yourself. So, so let's see. So I'm very grateful for you doing this because it's very, the way I learned it, Jeff Ginter on Real Progressives, does that sound familiar? Does he sound familiar, that name? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's a friend. He lives locally and he's, uh, you know, he has his own show and his own, you know, whatever you call it, video, podcast, live stream, weekly thing. And two times he taught, well, first on the phone, but then we did two live streams where he taught me MMT. And it was very exciting for people who know MMT to watch someone break through that, you know, the, 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 the initial mind vendors, to watch someone's, someone, you know, go down that road, to watch them learning something that's so important to them. So... It's very exciting for me to have someone like you who is willing to take that leap and and to you know to try and understand this because it is a perfect learning tool for other people 
who have your sort of understanding because you're going to ask the questions of, you know, I don't understand this from your point of view, which is going to help other people learn. So it's, it's very exciting for me. So I don't exactly know where to start, but let's just see where it goes. And you'll ask questions as you need. Um, but, but it, but it's important, and I don't think that you're going to be doing this, but just for sort of um, for people that are listening, you know, it's important that this not become a debate. This is me teaching and you learning for this, just for this part. But, but I'm not in a position where I know so much that I can, you know, be scrutinized in that way because I'm just not that advanced. So, okay, so what you said was generally correct, you know, basically correct. Okay. We can print our own money. We can print our own money. We can print an infinite amount of money, you know, just like the score at a baseball game. You don't run out of points. So you can't, you know, you, you don't run out of points because you create points out of nothing. It's literally a game, just like, just like a child drawing a dollar bill on a piece of paper. You could draw a trillion dollar bill on a piece of paper. So... If I were to say to my kids, I have my box filled with business, old business cards, and I'll say to my kids, I'll get, I, you know, you do chores and I'll give you 10 business cards. And I'll go, okay, well, what do I care about that for? And then I'll say, next week, you have to pay me three business cards every week in, in taxes. So all of a sudden, those business cards, which used to mean nothing, now suddenly mean something. Because they have to pay me okay. in order to, you know, they can buy things with those business cards for whatever, you know, privileges or whatever it is. But the fact that I'm charging them taxes now makes those business cards, my currency, important to them. If they try and create their own business cards, if they go to Staples or if you have Staples where you live, Staples or Copy Center. Yeah. And they try and yeah. make their own they'll get like grounded for like a year because that's counterfeiting. So I have the monopoly on right. the currency. I am a currency issuer. He is a currency user. Everybody but me is a currency user. So they care about money, in this case, business cards. They care about the money because they have to pay taxes in it and they can buy stuff with it. I don't care about business cards because I can create them infinitely. I don't care about business cards at all. I don't care about currency. I don't care about money. I care about my child's services of chores and so on. I, ch I care about the real resources available, okay? So as a currency user, which is okay. the federal government, the only thing that I care about is real resources, which in this very simple case is my son's energy and, and uh, you know, the cleaning materials in my house and, you know, laundry and all that stuff. Um, but everybody else except for me cares about money. So the same thing with the federal government. And you'll stop me whenever you have a question. <laughs> the federal government can create okay. an amount of money. They don't care about the money itself. They give the money to the people, and then the people use the money to buy stuff from each other. But the only reason that they use it and don't do barter, they don't you know, you know trade chickens or artwork for you know, for fixing my sink or whatever, that they actually use the money is because the government says you have to pay taxes next year and you have to pay it right. in U.S. currency. 
So what, what do you think, I mean, first of all, do you have any questions about that concept? First of all, do you have any? Um, well, I do, but um, I had talked to you about um, comparing it to a diamond, to, to the diamond industry, um, how they're constantly mining them, but they, they have like the vast majority of what they've mined in vaults um, yeah. to keep the value of what is out in the marketplace and what is owned. Um, That's what I always thought, you know, what limited them from from just printing out however much cash they want is to keep the value of the dollar where it is. And so my question is, if you can print infinite amount of money, does that not affect the value of the dollar? That is a great question. And And would that hinder them from doing it? Okay, yeah. We are not on the gold standard anymore. So your example is diamonds, but it's in, the, in, in our, in America, it's gold, gold standard. So every dollar is backed by a piece of gold. So every dollar is worth okay. an, ounce, an ounce of gold, which is obviously an overestimation or underestimation. But we used to be on the gold standard. That ended when right, right before I was born, right after you were born, August 1971, we got off of the gold standard. So all of a sudden, our dollars are no longer backed by gold. So as of 1971, that no longer became the case. That So when, when we were on the gold standard, when you printed out another dollar, every dollar was suddenly worth a little bit less gold, right? So if you, if you right. double the amount of dollars then that halves the amount of the worth of the currency because the gold hasn't changed. The amount of gold hasn't changed. So that lowers the amount of the worth of the currency if you print out more. But we're not on the gold standard anymore. So nothing reduces the amount of the currency with the exception of one thing, the availability of real resources. So productive capacity. So for example, if we keep pumping money in, we can create infinite money, okay? We can totally create infinite money if we wanted to. That would be a foolish thing to do because if we pump infinite money into the market, the number of actual products and services and labor and that we have doesn't change. So that if we keep printing more and more and more and more money, then all of a sudden there's all this extra demand, but the real resources hasn't changed. Our productive capacity hasn't changed. So, for example, during during World War II, all of a sudden we stopped creating cars because all of that all of those resources went into creating tanks and boats, uh, ships, and so on. We didn't produce a single car during the war, but people's money didn't change. So from the people's point of view, they still wanted as many cars as they, new cars as they did the year before the war started. So all of a sudden, demand stayed the same, but supply of cars dramatically dropped down to zero. So that is a potential inflation because the amount of productive capacity dropped dramatically when the war began. So that's an inflation concern because people have the same amount of money. They want the same, you know, buying new cars at the same rate. But we don't have, we're not producing the cars anymore during the war years. So that is why 
we created war bonds with the excuse of fund the troops, you know, help support the troops, support the war effort, when the real reason was it didn't support the war effort directly. It didn't pay for the troops. It didn't pay for any of our war materials. All it did was get rid of some demand. It got money out of people's pockets and said, I'll buy a war bond. You give me back the money in 10 years plus 5% interest. And I'll take my money out of the, out of circulation for a while, which is the government's way of reducing demand. That's how they controlled inflation during the war years. One of the major tools that they used to control inflation during the war years. So the point is that you can't have more money than your production, your real resources, your natural resources, your labor, time, um, can handle. So that's the example of cars. So for the pony example, the other perfect one, everyone can't have a pony, Bernie, and how are you going to pay for it? Everyone can, but, but the point is, is that everybody can have a pony, literally a pony, an actual pony. But you can't do it tomorrow. Why can't you do it tomorrow? Take a guess. Why can't you offer everyone a pony tomorrow? Uh, well, for me, I would have nowhere to put it. <laughs> okay, that's a good that's a good point. Well, why? Okay, so that's so we need places to you know you're not just buying a pony. You have to actually create the uh, well, environment's the wrong word, but you have to create the environment in your own home to be able to handle that pony. That's that's one excellent reason. What's another reason that we can't offer people everybody in America a pony tomorrow? We could write the big pony bill. Everybody in America gets a pony tomorrow. Here's $5 billion to do that. Can we do that? What's, what makes that not possible? In addition to what you just said, which is a good example that I hadn't thought of. Um, I don't know. Disbelief that it's possible? <laughs> well, I guess. I guess. But, but <laughs> no. <laughs> no. This, this is where you edit. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> The reason that you can't offer everyone a pony tomorrow is because there are not 350 million ponies out there. There's simply not enough ponies out there. Okay. (laughs) We could offer everybody a pony, but not tomorrow. We have to to take the time to get pony mommies and daddies to do their thing and create ponies. (laughs) Right? So this would take how long would it take? A year? Two years? But absolutely everyone can get a pony. Absolutely. Literally. A pony. But we would have to get the land to breed them. We'd have to get the people to handle that breeding. We'd have to get the uh um you know, the extra food, the the supplies for people, like you said, to have places to to handle them in your own home, veterinarian, extra veterinarian services and stuff like that. Transportation to get Transport- them. Shipping them. Exactly. So the whole life cycle of having a pony. Everyone can have a pony, but not tomorrow. So this is real resources. As long as our real resources can handle it, everybody can have a pony, but time is a big factor here. How long would it take right. to give everyone a pony? Probably, probably I would guess a couple of years or something like that, you know? And then we create an industry of people who maintain, you know, 
you know, maintain the structures or, or help people or, or, you know, fix up stuff or training, you know, animal training and stuff like that. So the point is real resources and time is a very important one of those resources to, to do that. So that's an example. That's like a really excellent example of, um, of real resources. So if we say we create a pony bill and we give $5 billion, that would create incredible inflation because there would be so few ponies available and 350 million people want a pony, the prices of the very few ponies that we have would skyrocket, right? I mean, that's pretty clear. Right. But if we distributed that over the appropriate amount of time, it wouldn't cause inflation because our productive capacity could handle it. Our real resources could handle it. The point is, is that you can print infinite money but you should not print if you do not if you want to control inflation, then you do not print more money than your real resources can handle. Okay? Is that much a little bit okay. clearer now? Yeah. Okay. So, and again, please, I want you to stop me with questions if you have any, because I want to sort of guide this to what's good for you. Um, okay. Okay, so if the government creates its own money whenever it wants to, it's just a game. If that's true, then does the government need any income? My first thought is yes, because time. Time? Because because they can't, because of what we just discussed, they can't just print out however much they want as soon as they want, right? No, they absolutely can. They absolutely can print as much as they want, as as often as I they mean, want. I mean, I mean, without causing problems, without causing yeah. inflation problems. Correct. But let's say let's say that there is a ton of real real resources available, such as labor. We have a ton of labor available right now, right? And there's True. a ton of people that want work, and there's a ton of people who are working but they're miserable or they're paid terrible wages. So there's a lot of unused labor. So real resources available right now. So we could print whatever, a trillion dollars to do federal job guarantee and take advantage of those resources so that would not cause inflation because all that labor is currently ready and waiting. So for this example, if a government can print a trillion dollars just like that, so considering inflation pressures, um, does if the government can print as much money as it wanted, and did it wisely, does the government need any income? Does it need money? Does it need the people to... Okay. Okay. So the government doesn't need income. So therefore, if the government doesn't need income, then why does it collect taxes? Yeah, taxes were supposed to be temporary. And then they liked them. <laughs> or they liked having that control. <laughs> I'm not sure what you mean. Like taxes, when when we were first started being taxed, that was not supposed to be a permanent solution. Solution to what? Right? I don't remember. <laughs> Let me see if I can bring it up. The origin of the income tax 
on individuals is generally cited as the passage of the 16th Amendment passed by Congress July 2nd, 1909. Congress passed the Revenue Act of 1861, which included a tax on personal income to help pay war expenses. The tax was repealed 10 years later. However, in 1894, Congress enacted a flat rate federal income tax, which was ruled unconstitutional the following year by the U.S. Supreme Court because it was a direct tax not apportioned according to the population of each state. Hmm. I'm not, I am not familiar with that. I'm not familiar I'll with that. send you the link of this. It's, the his, it's supposed to be the history of it. But, okay. but yeah, that was, that was how it started. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I can't address that directly because I'm not familiar with that. But But what I can say is I'm pretty confident that taxes started pretty much right when the country began. I'm pretty sure because uh, you'll I'll I'll you'll understand later but basically the dollar can't exist. I'll add that to the description of the link. Um the dollar can't exist unless there's taxes. Okay, so so put that aside just for a moment. You said that the the, the United States does not need any income because it creates its own money, which I agree with you. So if that's that's the case, then why does it collect taxes? And I can rescue you. You can say, you know, but I'm just seeing if you have any ideas. (laughs) My my gut reaction, because I hate taxes, (laughs) I hate tax time of year, is control over the people, over how much money the people get to have. Okay, that's not that's not so far. That's actually much closer. Okay, so the reason that there are taxes, there's a few reasons for taxes. But the most important thing before I get into those reasons is that federal taxes do not fund federal spending, which is really just an extension of what you just said, which is they don't the federal government does not need any income. Federal taxes do not fund federal spending. So what you just read about funding the war effort is is the same thing with war bonds. You know, support the troops, support the war effort. They don't actually pay for the troops. They don't pay for anything. What they did was remove money from the economy to reduce demand, to reduce inflation. And taxes do the same exact thing. The difference between a bond and taxes is that a bond is, number one, it's voluntary. It's temporary, 10 years. It pays a little bit of a a reward, 5%, whatever it is, 3%. Um, So it removes currency from the economy. It's not used for anything. It's, there's just a you know a spreadsheet in the I guess the treasury that has Kim Niles a thousand dollars bond four percent that matures in uh, whatever 2023, but they don't use that for anything. That's not money sitting in a bucket. That's just a number in a spreadsheet, literally, just a number in a spreadsheet. Right. And when 2023 comes around, or if you want to do it earlier, you know you'll just get that proportion of whatever you call it, the, if it's 10% over 10 years and you you get it out in three years, you won't pay a penalty, but you'll only get, you know, three that percentage of your of your 
reward of your of your interest. So bonds are temporary, they're voluntary, and they give you a little bit of a reward. Taxes are not voluntary, they're permanent, and of course you don't get any reward for it. So taxes remove right. money from the economy permanently. The money just disappears, no different than when you give a ticket to a movie theater and they rip it up. So money is huh. literally... Destroyed is not quite, quite the right word, but is it dies. It just disappears when you're attacked. Sucked out of the equation. It is taken out of the economy permanently. It is not used anywhere. Okay. It's not given to anybody. So, um, which extends from the fact that the federal government doesn't need any income, right? So taxes right. don't pay for anything, which is like, so why am I paying taxes? So number one, the reasons that you pay taxes are number one, to, to manage inflation, number one. So they might tax you a little bit more next year if there's something, you know, suddenly we can't produce X amount of whatever it is. Or if we can suddenly produce a ton of it, then we might want to take less taxes so you can buy more stuff. So taxes, this are used to manage inflation. That's number one. Number two is taxes are used to make moral decisions. So, for example, we might tax alcohol extra. We might tax cigarettes extra. But gambling, we might tax the wealthy extra because income inequality is immoral. It's fine if you want to become rich, but there's some point where it becomes that you have so much power it's that you can buy government you can buy politicians with your pocket change, which is the situation that we have now. Right. So we might want to tax the wealthy just so it doesn't get to that point where it's so out of control like we have today. So if the government actually was doing its job, they would tax the wealthy simply to make that income gap less severe. So they would make a hundred times more than us, not 5,000 times more than us. Okay, so it's moral decisions. Right. We don't need their money. We don't need their money. You know, everybody says, even Bernie says, let's tax the wealthy, you know, to, to do this, to do that, to do this. That's really, really inaccurate and misleading. Um, so taxing the wealthy is very important, but not because we need their money. It's important because income inequality is immoral. Okay, so we're, we're, okay. we we do taxes for for to uh, I forget the terms that I used just a moment ago, but to make moral decisions, to uh, manage inflation, and also, and this is uh, this is the really important one, is to drive the economy, to drive the currency. And what I mean by that is the example that I gave to begin with this with my kids, with my business cards, they don't care about business cards. But as soon as I said you have to pay a tax, you can use these to buy stuff. And But as soon as I said you have to pay a tax every week or every month, now that all of a sudden they care about that currency. So taxes drive the currency. It makes it so that people don't want to pay with chickens and 
artwork in exchange for you know repair like a handyman repair job everybody wants the currency because everybody is required to pay taxes so those are the three reasons that you pay taxes and i know that this is all sort of pieces what it was for me when i first learned it was pieces floating in the air that were not connected but each of them were sort of interesting and sort of made sense but I was a long way from like putting it all together. So um, I'm going to stop there for a moment and see, you know, what questions do you have or do you feel like there are, you know, huge gaps or what do you think? Uh, No, I don't have any questions. You're not doing much for making me want to pay my tax. (laughs) I mean, I still will, but, you know, I'm just going to be even more grumpy. Well, I mean, it's 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 the way that we're being taxed is immoral, and we we pay social yeah. security tax or whatever that's called. What is that called? There's a tax specifically FICA. Is it FICA? There's some yeah. tax that yeah. we specifically pay. You know, I've been paying into social security my whole life. I I've earned it, but that's actually yeah. not that's actually not true. When Fed, when uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt created the social security created social security. He created this tax specifically for Social Security that every American would have to pay, not because it pays for Social Security, but just to give people the feeling that they've paid for Social Security. So it's it's a trick. It's just a trick. It's it was a, it was a because the people didn't understand it that they created this tax to give people the feeling of being invested, which which now the Republicans are using against us because, I, I, actually, I can't even articulate how, but I, I know that I'm correct, but I can't articulate how. But it's all this, you know, cutting security that, that, that's being turned on its head somehow. I wish I could have ah, forgot, but it's being turned on its head right now for all of this wanting to gut all these social programs. That concept is now being used no. against us. I do have a question. Okay. I keep hearing how they have spent out of, they have borrowed against our Social Security and not paid it back. Is there no truth to that? Because there is no actual account, you know, that our money is, is held in? Um. I can't answer that totally specifically because I don't know exactly what you're talking about because you brought you somewhat brought this up with like the national debt and that you know there there no no not national debt the balanced budget amendment that somehow related to taking from social security like I briefly spoke to you about that on Twitter um, but what what I can say is that you don't there's not there's no bucket of money there's no bucket of money at the federal level that they have to you know the finite bucket of money that they can use for anything, nothing. The federal government doesn't need income. Social Security, Social Security is just a number in a spreadsheet. You don't, there's nothing to borrow right. from. There's nothing to borrow from. You don't borrow from anything. The, oh, this whole concept of we're going to borrow a trillion dollars, which is a record, it's not. So what, do, what, what do we have to borrow if we can create the currency? That makes right. no sense. 
that makes no sense. Oh, the Phillies, the, the Philadelphia Phillies have to borrow points from the Pittsburgh Pirates in order to put scores on the board. <laughs> that makes no sense. It makes no sense. Borrowing and taxing don't pay for federal spending. So there is no bucket of money that has to, you know, that we can take from Social Security that doesn't, that, that doesn't even make sense. When the bill was written, this is how money is created specifically. The federal government writes a number into a bill, so whatever, a trillion dollars for ponies, or bill, I'll say $5 billion for ponies, which will be distributed, you know, properly over two years or whatever it is. So $5 billion for ponies. $5 billion is written into the bill. They pass that bill into law. And once it's passed into law, then that is, that triggers and I'm, I'm, I might have the mechanics somewhat off here, but generally speaking, that triggers the Treasury to instruct the Federal Reserve to create $5 billion. Those $5 billion are now at the Federal Reserve, and how do they do that? They just change, they just create a new line in a spreadsheet, the pony, pony account. They write $5 billion in a new line on a spreadsheet, and now there's five new billion dollars. It's high. It's called high-powered money when the Congress creates money. It just comes out of nowhere. It's just magic, just like a child drawing a five billion dollar dollar bill. And then, then now the Federal Reserve now has five billion dollars because they created a new line in a spreadsheet and wrote the wrote the number five billion. That five billion dollars goes down to each of the state reserves, and then to the banks that. The companies that, you know, the breeders and, and the farmers and the, and the veterinarians and all these whatever companies are necessary to make this pony stuff come, come true, that the money that works its way down from the feds to the states to the actual banks into the accounts of the companies and the people that make that bill come to pass. So Medicare for all. There would be maybe maybe a hospital constructed. There would be training for getting people out of the private insurance industry. There would be <clears throat> there would be unemployment insurance for you know people you know transitioning. Uh, some people would have unemployment. Some people would have training. Some people would be moved into the public sector. Um, so there would be and and probably you know something for the people who run these companies. There would be some. Some just, you know, money to just stop complaining. So there would be whatever, a trillion dollars written into a bill for Medicare for all, which would tr- pass into law, trigger the Treasury, trigger the Federal Reserve, go down to the states, go down to the training companies, the unemployment agencies. So there may be one employment, unemployment agency or one training agency in um, Washington State. Their bank would be whatever, Wells Fargo. So we'll say $300 million will go to this training agency in in Washington State. Their bank account would be increased by $300 million. They would do whatever was written in that bill, which would be a small part of implementing Medicare for All. That's how money is created. Do you understand that? Do I need to – was that clear? That's clear? Yeah. That's how money is created. It's not just printing bills for us. It's – Printing bills and literal yeah. print, yeah, literal okay. printing is a very small part of it. Um, uh, yeah, they also 
that also I, I don't know, I don't know how exactly bills fit in, but that's a small part of it. But it starts with this just this line in a spreadsheet. So when okay. Social Security was created, they created the money to start Social Security, and not only that. So that whatever it was, five billion dollars, social, beginning Social Security account, whatever it is. But they also created the Social Security Agency. Is that what it's called? Social Security Agency. That's not. The, I feel like that's not the right term, but the Social Security Agency, right. which they now have the power to manage Social Security for all time. So they gave, they relegated or delegated the permission to manage the money of the Social Security Agency to dole out benefits, um, you know, to however, whatever that means. So Social Security, to a very small extent, has the capability of creating the currency, you know, within this very small sliver of which is, you know, Social Security purposes. So there's no, they don't have a, a bucket of actual cash to to use for other purposes. The the money was created, and I'm actually sort of reaching the end of my the 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 uh, end of the universe as far as my knowledge here. So I'm trying to hold this part <laughs> together. Um, but to take money from Social Security, I, I can't quite articulate it, but it doesn't make sense. They can fully fund Social Security because it's already been fully funded. They fully funded it the day that the Social Security bill administration, Social Security administration, with the day that the bill passed in 19-whatever-it-was, 1935, that's when the money has, had been created to, to, to do all the benefits forever, forever. No, no, people pay in that. No, people don't pay in that. Just like I said, the tax that pays, the tax that is a Social Security tax or whatever that's called, it doesn't the pay FICA tax, anything. Yeah. It doesn't pay anything. The, the federal government does not need any money, does not need any revenue. Therefore, the FICA tax does not pay for anything. Because that's but, a but this tax. isn't supposed to. But this isn't supposed to be going to the government. This is supposed to be going to our retirement plan, which is what Social Security is supposed to be. So, which has already been totally funded by the original Social Security bill. We're not. We're not. But wasn't it the bill that 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 each generation would pay for the one coming after it or coming before it? That's the trick. That's not what's happening. That's what they want people to ah. feel like because they're invested in it. And unfortunately, I, I don't know this part to that extent, but I do know that we're not paying for future generations Social Security. We're not. Our and that they tax, want to privatize it. They want to privatize it because the government doesn't make a profit off of us. They want to privatize it because <laughs> they want to make a profit off of us. They have to say that it's failing in order to kill it. Right. They have to say that it's failing. It's going to run out of money. It's not going to run out of money. They are, it was already paid for a hundred years ago. It doesn't. I, I, unfortunately, I don't know the Social Security part that thoroughly to be able to really go into this. But there, it, the only the reason that they say Social Security is going to run out of money, the reason that they say that Medicare is going to run out of money, is not because it's running out of money. 
not, there's nothing that could make it run out of money. The only thing that could make it run out of money is by politicians to choose to destroy it. That's it. Right. So that's why I was asking you where the balanced budget bill that you were talking about of stealing from our social security. I don't know if that was, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, what I do know is a balanced budget is not going to steal from social security. That's not, that doesn't make sense. However, that doesn't stop politicians from being able to say, let's pay senior citizens less in benefits because we want to. Not because we right. have to. We don't have to. Social security, it was our, it, social security is solvent because it was created to be solvent. There's no such thing as insolvency, just like there's because we create our own currency. If we create our own currency, then we can never default on our debts, ever. And that includes Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid and everything else that was created in the bill. We can't default on our debts, ever. So therefore, Social Security can't go solid, can't go kaput. Medicare can't go kaput. The only rate, the only way that it can is if politicians decide to explicitly lower the benefits that we want to pay our seniors and they'll just tell people Social Security is failing. And then 10 years right. later, they'll go, oh, Social Security failed. We got to privatize it. I mean, this is the same thing with uh, the NHS, uh, England's Medicare, m- medical Right. The healthcare system. Um, our Medicare for all will not, you know, our Medicare for all only replaces the insurance industry, the payment. NHS also employs the doctors and the hospitals. Um, NHS has had problems, but not because of the program itself. It has had problems because it's been, un- it's been defunded and it's been sabotaged. So right. they defund it and they sabotage it. And then five years later, they say, see, it failed. We have to privatize it. And that's, that's, Same, yeah. that's the neoliberal thing that they do into public schools. That's the neoliberal tactic. You unfund, you sabotage. And then a couple of years later, you point at it and you say, see, it failed. We have to privatize it. Yeah. Which is, you know, which is the rich the way the rich people push the government out of the way and they take over well, the government. Well, I love that you said that that's, that that's the new, the, the new liberal thing. Neo-liberal tactic. thing. There, Neo, neoliberal. Oh, neoliberal. Okay. <laughs> like, cause, cause, because the Republicans have been doing that for years. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's scary how, how other than a few social issues, they're more and more alike. Unfortunately, what's really upsetting for me is that Nina Turner just perpetuated, yeah. just perpetuated the Medicare thing. Medi- we have to pass Medicare for all because Medicare is going to be uh, insolvent or out of money three years earlier than we thought. No, it's not. No, it's not. And I, she's not doing it out of, you know. I would have tough. loved for that to have been followed by a, you know, a winky face, you know, tongue in cheek. <laughs> right. No, unfortunately it wasn't. I mean, I'm sure she's not being sinister. She's just, right. you know, surrounded by people that are fooled by the same thing. But yeah. um, it's, it's, that's a real shame that, that we're so fooled that, you know, we, we need Medicare for all, not because our system is broken, 
We need, I mean, not because our system is breaking. We need Medicare for all because it's the right thing to do. Right. It's what people deserve. Um, so anyway, the Social Security stuff, I, I know that I'm on the right path. I don't know the details enough. But um, I, I, I know what I want to say next, but I want to take a break and see if you, you know, if you have any other thoughts or questions about. No. No. I don't like the idea that, you know, that, that the whole Social Security system was uh, BS. You mean the taxes? Because I, yeah, yeah, the whole, the whole, you know, big deal. Um, yeah. That the idea that we are have been investing into this our whole lives, and so we deserve it. Yeah. Yeah. It's and, and you know, me being self-employed, I I don't just have to pay what you have to pay. I have to pay what your employer would pay you as well. Right, and the and the. Uh, actually, you know what? I hadn't thought about this before. I hadn't thought you just. I hadn't thought about this before. But Bernie Sanders, Social Security. How do we make social? I can't believe it. I never thought of this. What? A big thing with Bernie Sanders was how do we save Social Security? We lift this. We lift the Social Security cap, so that mil, you know billionaires pay the same percentage as the as we do. That's yeah. the solution. I can't. It's total nonsense. It's total nonsense. <laughs> we don't lift the cap on Social Security in order to save Social Security, of the tax in order to save Social Security. We lift it because it's fair, because it, just, it, it yeah. reduces income inequality. That's why. We, I mean, the whole tax should go away for everybody. That's what should happen. But the other way is at least to make it equal for everybody to make it a progressive tax, right. not a regressive tax, but not because it pays for Social Security. I, I, had not, I had not thought of that before. Okay, so another huge concept, which when you start, when you start the, the main concept is the United States creates its own currency. That's what it all begins with, and then everything else just logically right. follows, but it's really hard to, to go there. So another major concept is... How do we pay for X, Medicare for all? How do we pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? How would you answer that question? How will we pay for Medicare for all or any pro any big, huge federal program, $15 an hour, federal job guarantee, anyone you, anyone you like? You know, the, the big question that's asked is, how are you going to pay for it? Relating to MMT? I'll, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna say. Just, just however you think. How, how are you going? To, <laughs> well, I'm. That's the major. Question. I'm thinking. How are you going to pay for if, X? Well, if you can just print the money, then you do that. But first, you have to figure out. You have to do a whole lot of planning, um, of of how it would work and and who all it would involve to to set up the the system. For it to work, and and how much would you know would that cost? And so yeah, it would it would take a while, but if all they can if all they have to do is print the money, then then that's what they should do. <laughs> you pretty much just answered it. You pay for it because we want to pay for it, 
And I right. you, and and I think I think what you were trying to say, which you were saying in your own way, was we just have to figure out if we have the real resources to be able to do it. The people, the labor, right. the time, the the minerals, the I mean the you know the planet, line it up, yeah. And uh, the what do you call it? Stuff in the ground. <laughs> resources. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I can't think of the term. I, I, so I think you're, you're, if, as long as we have the real resources that can handle it, the people are willing and able and want and, and, and ready. Know, and ready. Then we just write a number into a bill and that's that. So. Right. You'll notice that the pay for question, the pay for trap, is yeah. only, is only asked when it's programs that benefit the powerless. Right. You, oh, Medicare, right. Medicare yeah, they rescued, <laughs> they rescued Wall Street. Yeah, with, with how many trillions? How, exactly, with how many trillions of dollars? $12 trillion or whatever it was in 2009 or yeah. whatever it was? And how much did they spend yeah. on us to, you know, people who <laughs> foreclosed on? And where did that money come yeah. from? Did they tax us more to get that money? Or did they just write it in it? Did they just create it out of thin air and just shove it down banks' throats? They didn't, we didn't yeah. increase taxes in 2009 to bail out the banks. We didn't increase taxes to um, pay 700 extra billion or 700 billion dollars in a single year for the military. We didn't pay extra taxes to decrease taxes on the rich. You know, so you never hear the pay for question for these programs for the wealthy. You only hear this pay for question for programs for the powerless. Right. Which isn't, is another indication that the question is complete nonsense to begin with. But, yeah. um, but you, yeah, you, now you get it. As long as you have the re- real resources, then you just write a number into a bill, pass it into law, and that's that. Yeah. Um, but the, the pay for question is, but it's, it's more sinister than that. Because the answer to those who don't understand NNT is usually, well, we can lift the cap on Social Security. Well, we can tax the rich. Well, we can have tax, uh, in, uh, tax on Wall Street speculation. Well, we can take some money from the military. You know, we can take money from the rich in order to pay for programs for the powerless. We can take money from the military in order to pay for Medicare for all. We can take money, um, you know, Wall Street speculation. We can take money, which is, again, from the rich, in order to pay for X. And what's really sinister about it is that that requires us to take money from someone who is very powerful and really does not want to give us that money. So it basically, it's class warfare. It pits the powerless against the powerful. If, the right. ri- if we have to tax the rich in order to get Medicare for all, in order to pay for Medicare for all, then we're never going to get it because how dare you penalize success, right? Right. If you, if you want to reduce the military in order to pay for Medicare for all, 
how dare you know how dare you jeopardize the national our national security right it pits the powerless against the powerful it is class warfare and it's nonsense because we don't need their money we don't need it yeah we need to tax the rich which i think you can understand why now yeah it is very important to tax the rich because this level of inequality is immoral, but not because we need their money. Right. We, we need to reduce the military because it's the right thing to do. We shouldn't be so such a bully in the world. We need to reduce the military, but not because we need their money. So the point is, is to separate how the programs that we want, the point is to separate the fight for getting the programs that we want from how are we going to pay for it. Yeah. So when you're asked how do we pay for it, that's a trap to basically guarantee that you will never get what you want. So every time you hear, you know, Bernie Sanders is asked how are you going to pay for it, he's actually doing better. He actually, um, you know, Stephanie Kelton is a name you should remember. She is one of the most prominent Kelton? voices. Kelton. Stephanie Kelton. She was Bernie Sanders' economic advisor for his 2016 presidential campaign. She was uh, a, a very big position in the United States Senate, uh, Democratic like, economic something, I don't remember. Um, she's one of the, she's, she's between our ages. I think she's 48. Um, she is one of the biggest voices in the world for NNT. And she's such a pleasure to listen to. Um, so actually, the, I would recommend the first thing that I would recommend if you're interested. Uh, a perfect first video to watch is called Angry Birds and Deficits. It's just a Stephanie Kelton talk. Um, and she reinforces everything okay. that I'm saying here in a much more elegant way. Um, Angry but, Birds and Deficits? Yes. Because deficits, I'm sort of jumping around now, but so the class warfare thing is a huge concept, the pay for trap. That's a huge concept, which I think you, I think you seem to sort of be getting in general, you know, the general concepts of this. Yeah. So deficit, balanced budget. Why is a balanced budget so bad with all this new knowledge that you have? Why is a balanced budget so bad. Well, I, I actually never meant by sharing that tweet that a balanced budget is bad. Oh, it was just the stealing from Social it, Security. It was, all, it was only the, the issue with Social Security that, that I was upset about. Okay, well, I'm telling you, a balanced budget would be permanent, devastating austerity for the powerless. Permanent. Really? Permanent and devastating austerity for the powerless, for everybody except the rich. So you you have the answer in everything that we've been talking about. I can say it, but I'm just going to give you a chance to sort of think it, think it if you can, if you think you can sort of put your heads around it. Why is a balanced budget so devastating? I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Remember Bill Clinton had a surplus uh-huh. at the end of his presidency? It's, yeah. not a co- 
it's not a coincidence that there was a recession very soon after that. A balanced budget amendment so, means, by definition, that every dollar that they spend, they must tax that exact same amount back. Right? Okay. Now, do you understand that much, right? Yeah. Okay. So a deficit means that if I spend ten, if, if the government creates ten dollars, spends ten dollars, which means creates ten dollars, it's the same exact thing on the federal level. So if they spend ten dollars, then they'll tax seven dollars back. That's a deficit from the federal level, from the federal point of view. That's a that's a federal deficit if they spend ten and only tax seven. But what happens to that other? What happens to that other three? Where did that other three go? In the hands of the people. In the hands of the people. So if you spend ten, and you tax ten, okay, gotcha. Then you give people ten dollars, and you take everything back. So can people save? Nope. Can can people spend? Spend? <laughs> nope. Nope. And so a balanced budget means that the government can do nothing to help the people. They can't give them a buck because every buck they give the people, they have to take it right back one year later or, you know, months later. Right. So the people can never save, can never spend anything unless they already have it before the balanced budget amendment started. And a surplus is I spend 10 and I tax 12. You think that's good for the people? Uh, no. <laughs> so, a balanced budget amendment, and so Bill Clinton had a surplus. So he was just taking money out of the people's pockets. The government wasn't providing any services. It was just taxing the people extra, extra, extra. So they weren't getting anything. They were, you know, just having to to get credit and you know, all this whole thing that we have with all this credit now. Right. So a balanced budget amendment is permanent and devastating austerity because it never lets the people save or spend anything extra. So that's, that's why it's horrifying. Um, so actually the, you know, do you know the PROMESA board in Puerto Rico? No. Okay, so the... The PROMESA board? PROMESA, P-R-O-N-E-S-A. Some stands for something like that, you know, abbreviation. But it's the government, it's the, the government, you know, Puerto Rico, quotes, failed, quote, failed, according to the, the oh, federal right. government. So they created this PROMESA board, which supersedes the Puerto Rican government. And it's completely just all corporate people. And they're just raping the land. Oh, lovely. And, yeah, oh no, it's hor- it's horrifying. I could point you to a uh, I'll say it just so put it in the description. Um there's an excellent podcast called Congressional Dish that goes that has like a 2-hour podcast all on how Puerto Rico is just to say that they're being treated badly is is an is an understatement. Um And it's called what? Promesa board. Oh, the the, the podcast is called uh, Yeah. The podcast is called Congressional Dish, and I'll, I'll put a link to the exact episode. 
Uh, it's Puerto Rico. Congressional Dish. Congressional Dish. Yeah, it's an excellent podcast. Okay. It's like real in-depth okay. policy and stuff. So, she, yeah, this whole two-hour thing of how Puerto Rico has just been treated terribly. And the thing is, is because we create the currency, if we really wanted to, we could cure Puerto Rico tomorrow with a stroke of the pen. Right. But we won't. We don't. And we won't because it keeps the rich rich, even richer, even more powerful. Um, so this PROMESA board put a condition on giving control back to the Puerto Rican government. And that condition is four straight years of balanced budgets. Oh, my gosh. Right. So from their point of view, they're saying, oh, you well, if you're going to be responsible and you have a balanced budget for four years, then we'll give you your government, their control of your government back, and control of your people back. Oh, my gosh. So if you just did, so the people are terrible in terrible shape right now. And if you screw them even harder for four years straight, then we'll give you your government. Then we'll give you control back. Wow. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. It's really, it's just, so a deficit, a balanced budget, a surplus, they all sound like responsible things, right? But right. <laughs> that's only from the federal government's point of view. So it's like parent and child. It's like, you know, the parents are the federal government, the currency issuer. And then all 350 million, 330 million Americans are the currency users. And when you say deficit, that's a bad thing from the it, it, pretending that there's a bucket of money, which now we know that there's not. A deficit is a right. bad thing. But you're only looking at the currency issuer's point of view. You're completely ignoring every currency user's point of view, all American citizens, the country as a whole. A balanced budget sounds responsible, but when you know that they don't need any money, what the, what's the point of a balanced budget? What's the point right. of a surplus? And you're only thinking of, from the federal government's point of view, the parent's point of view. It's like you only care about the parent's bank account, and you don't care about the kid's bank accounts or the family as a whole. It's completely right. ignoring the, the overall picture. It's this incredibly narrow and completely twisted, completely inaccurate view of you know, how things work. So... Um, so oh, deficit and debt, the debt, how can you have a debt? The national debt, you know, the national debt is, um, we have $21 trillion in debt. Okay. We make money. What do we care? What does it matter? What kind of debt we have? What does that even mean? We make them, we make the money out of thin air. How could we have debt? If we have 21, tr- so we'll write 21 trillion in, into the spreadsheet, bang, it's paid. What's what's the point here? You know, China, oh, China has $5 trillion in the bank. What if they took all their money tomorrow? Okay. So they have $5 trillion in U.S., $5 trillion U.S. dollars. And they come, they knock on our door tomorrow and they say, you know what? Give us all our money tomorrow. We want it. So what? So they get our money. What are they going to do with it? They'll buy U.S. products. They'll all of a sudden, there's more demand. Now, that's a good thing. If it creates inflation, we have a, a tons of things that we could do to control that inflation. 
we have the extra productive capacity. People are out of work and so on. So let's make more stuff. Right. Let's make more cars. Maybe it'll be a great thing. Maybe we don't need to do anything. If it's too, if it overheats the economy, we can tax China. You know, we can increase prices to some extent. Why not? It, it's, right. I mean, it's, it's a joke. It's, it's just a sinister joke to scare us. It's just another tool to scare the powerless into expecting nothing. Because if we expect right. anything, oh, we'll increase this debt. Oh, you know, we'll increase this deficit. You know, we're making things irresponsible. We're, we're penalizing future generations. No, we're not. No, we're not. So, I don't know, that, uh, I, I am actually feel like I've said much of what I wanted to say. So, I'll stop there and see what you, <laughs> do what you think. <laughs> I think I've exhausted my knowledge. <laughs> well, dang! It's like it's like taking uh, perspective I grew up with and and just kind of whoosh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's it? a lot to think about. It's wow. But it's empowering. I think it's empowering because now we know for sure that we can get what we need. Yeah, I've been. I've been. You know how how Bernie's voters are kind of split, or they keep saying how they're split. And I know that there's still people that are so upset with him for for wanting to go the method of taking over the Democratic Party. Um, I don't know the way the way I've been viewing it is is kind of like the Hunger Games, and how you got to figure out a way to form alliances with your fellow tribunes. <laughs> to take on the game maker and then you can sort things out, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Attacking it. We, we need to work together and, and attack the biggest issues um, so that we can have more control. We can get these things done that we want to get done. And right. then we can, you know, work out, sort out these other things later. Mm-hmm. So, trying to change the party directly and putting the right people in there. That's one direction. From my point of view, right. what, I want, what I want to do is, in addition, which is obviously what I'm doing right now, what's important to me is to teach the powerless to understand what really is and realize that what the powerful tell us is intentionally misleading. Yep. Because... It is the way of the powerful to keep themselves powerful because power is relative. I learned this from Caitlin Johnstone. Power is yeah. relative. The only way that you can stay powerful is to keep other people powerless. And my favorite right. example is Medicare for All. They don't want to give us Medicare for All, my, my belief is they don't want us to have Medicare for all. Not because they want to keep us sick. They want to profit off of us. That's definitely a huge piece, probably the second biggest piece. But for me, the biggest piece, I believe, is that they want to keep us powerless. Because if we get Medicare for all, 
and we are no longer chained to our jobs. And what's important, what's most important about that is that we can leave our jobs, still have medical insurance or health care, health care. We can have health care and we can run for office. Right. And there are people that I know that really, really should be running for office. And they can't. Yeah. Because they are chained to their jobs. And if they leave their jobs, their whole family will now have no health care, health insurance. That, that is why we don't have programs for the powerless. It's because it keeps us powerless and it keeps them powerful. And that's why they tell us all of these things. Because they don't want to admit, I am intentionally not giving you these things. They don't want to admit that. What they want to do is make you feel like, oh, I really wish I could, but I can't because of the debt and the deficit and all these things. It's not the truth. The truth is, I want to keep you powerless. I want to keep myself powerful. I want to profit off of your suffering. That's the truth. And our politicians are doing that because they're paid a whole lot of money. And the fact that they can stay powerful means that they can use a very small percentage of their money to purchase the government and to make the laws favorable to themselves, to push the government out of the way, and to make themselves effectively be the government. The government provides us less and less programs, which makes us have to depend on the the private industry. They shame the poor people into using the government. I mean, they shame the poor people for using the government, you know, handouts and all that horrible stuff. But the powerful use the government to an infinite greater extent through tax breaks and corporate welfare and food stamps when they should be which subsidize terrible wages and so on. But they shame the powerless. I'm sorry. All of our 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 politicians, yeah. I missed I missed what you like medical? I missed what you said. Oh and free medical for them. For life. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Yeah. So I mean it's it's incredible. It's incredible. And it's like if people understood this, the world would be different. But they have a huge yeah. incentive to not teach us this. And some of them, I'm sure, right. genuinely not. Some, some of them, I'm sure, genuinely don't understand it. But the most powerful people in government, Paul Ryan, President. Yeah. I mean, Trump, whatever. But, the, but you know, Barack Obama, um, Nancy Pelosi, the Charles, Chuck Schumer, all these people... They understand NMT. They, they absolutely. Oh, yes. Hillary Clinton. How are you going to pay for the yes. Chinese, Bernie? Oh, you better yes. damn well be sure that she understands MMT. And how? There's no way this is going to happen. There's no way. This is, these are pipe dreams. And then the the brief time that she was actually trying to get Bernie voters, the brief time, <laughs> she started copying things that he said that she had previously said. Never going to happen. Like to me, you know, in in some form or another. Oh, like the 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 minimum wage, the free uh, college. She started doing like 
some version of it. Incremental, a, a larger that incremental. That she first said can't even be on the table because it's not possible, you know? Right. Yeah, you can cut that out. I'm still mad, apparently. <laughs> no, why? It's absolutely accurate. See, I mean, it's neoliberalism. Oh, no, Democrats are different than Republicans because they try and give us at least a few crumbs to tide us over. Republicans won't yeah. even give us any crumbs, but at least Democrats try and give us crumbs as if we're supposed to be happy about that. You know? Yeah. So that's that's why her that's why Hillary Clinton's um, policies were so complex because she tried to give squeeze some crumbs out of you know like the, the Affordable Care Act was trying to squeeze health care out of a private insurance industry. Squeeze blood right. from the stone. You can only do that if it's incredibly complicated. Hillary Clinton's policies were incredibly complicated because they tried to squeeze blood from a stone. You know, it was just trying to, you know. So, you know, Hillary Clinton, for me, all of her policies were, you know, she's a, she's a very smart lady, but there was no core to her policies. There was no underlying... Well, the... well but let me just finish up. So Bernie Sanders... Everything was simple, and the underlying yeah. core, the core thing was in money and politics, income and inequality. They're all linked together. Hillary Clinton's policies were not linked together. That was my point. No, and and here's the thing too is that I don't believe for a second that she had any intention of following through on anything that 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 wasn't in her initial platform, which frankly wasn't a hell hell of a lot um, because it's 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 the democrat party way to promise and not follow through yeah they are they are famous for talking a good game and not following through yep and the people can't handle waiting anymore for a follow through which is why bernie did so amazingly well yeah. It was simple. It was, yeah, <laughs> it was like, this is possible. I mean, he was saying everything. He was saying stuff that, that people were feeling and thinking they were the only ones that thought that. Yeah. That's why his whole campaign was so uniting and powerful. And yeah. it took the Democrats, like, completely by shock. Yeah. They thought he'd be done in a month or two. <laughs> Yeah, well, he, he the Democrats are pretend to be our friends and then stab us in the back. That's what they do. Exactly. The Republicans, the Republicans are at least honest about we're stabbing them in the back, and then they stab us in the back. You know that sucks, but at least they're honest about it. Right. But the Democrats pretend, oh, we got your back, and then they stab you in the back. And Bernie right. Sanders, you know what? You know what? I just realized. Um, I had an interview. I just released it today with Victor Tiffany. And I spoke with him about, you know, Bernie Sanders taught us that money in politics is the root of all evil. That's true. And so money in politics is is one of the big life lessons that I've learned since Bernie Sanders and since I woke up, since I became yeah. an adult, really. Like I was on I was on anxiety and depression medicine before Bernie Sanders, and ever since I discovered him and started working for him, I'm not on it anymore because I've been, wow. you know, forcing myself 
to fit in in a box that I that I don't fit in for my whole life, right. you know. And then all of a sudden, yeah, it's like this this actually is going to connect, but at the moment it's going to seem out there. I've had perfect vision my whole life. I mean, like better than perfect vision my whole life. And then over the past, whatever, four years or something, few years, I've noticed that small print is a challenge. Not a big deal, but definitely I can see that small print is for the first time as a challenge, like reading. And far away is still no problem. And then a few months ago, I put on reading glasses for the first time, 1.25 magnification. And I was like, I just got a new phone. Like, that's how vivid and... That's how vivid and clear things were. I was like, things have been blurry for me for like five years and I had no idea. I've just, yep. I've just settled. I had no clue how blurry things have been. I've just gotten used to it. And then all of a yep. sudden I put on these, I put on these reading glasses and everything's all of a sudden it's clear. It's perfectly perfectly clear and that's what bernie sanders is to me he has yeah. shown he has showed us that things have been bad for our whole lives and now we can see exactly why we can see that it's bad yeah. we can see that it's bad we can see exactly we understand exactly why it's bad we know exactly what to do to make it better and he he is the he's what those reading glasses did to me. Like all of a sudden, I had no idea, you know. So, yeah, I think I I think he he kind of gave um, everybody who ended up voting for him uh, and working for him kind of a, a Neo in the Matrix moment. <laughs> Where where you're just like everything becomes crystal clear and you're just blown away. Yeah. I'm actually I, 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 I get the concept of what you're saying. I'm curious to remember to see that part in that movie again. I don't remember the specific just, thing in that movie. Yeah. I get the concept. Yeah, of what where you're where he realizes the truth of his reality. He like wakes that up. <laughs> that his that his reality was actually in the dream world, like being plugged in or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the the moment where he realizes that his reality, or what he thought was his reality, isn't, and he's been like, you know, like in that hooked up and and yeah, yeah, that yeah. the reality is actually that his reality is not real, right. <laughs> kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, money and politics is is one of the biggest things, and another lesson that is just as important is modern monetary theory. And then the third big lesson since Bernie, since I woke up, is um, manufactured consent, uh, which is a Noam yeah. Chomsky concept, which there's a three-hour documentary, which I've only seen the first hour, but, oh, my gosh, it completely changed me when I watched this first, just this first hour. I've been waiting for to see it with the rest of my life. It's extraordinary. Don't yeah, that was a name I hadn't heard of before Bernie, too. Oh, really? I didn't hear it related to Bernie. Yeah. I I don't know when it may have just been, you know, in one of the Bernie groups someone said, Hey, go check this out. Um 
But, yeah, I, I had never heard of him until then. And, and I started watching. I don't know if it was the same one you're talking to talking about, but I started no, watching um, an interview with him. And, wow, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's yeah. a documentary on Noam Chomsky called Manufactured Consent, or sort of a, a it's about him, and he's featured throughout the whole. It's centered around all of his talks. It's unbelievable, and it's actually it's it's related because it's all about keeping us in the dark about the economy and about just everything. Um, it's how right. they manage us. It's how they it's how they manage us in a non-coercive well, much less coercive way than in like a, uh, right. you know, a military, yeah, whatever, dictator kind of a thing. So that's all. So that's, that's my little lesson. You seem to, you seem to generally get it. I think so. Yeah. 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 I definitely want to, look into it more and I'll check out uh, Stephanie Kelton too. And, oh, yeah. um, I have I have one more recommendation which I think will lead you to a million other things is uh, there's a, a Facebook group that's really excellent. Uh, Modern Monetary Theory for Real Progressives on Facebook. Modern Monetary Theory for Real Progressives. And they that's just an excellent group for they they post a lot of the myths and they say, oh, let's go into the comments and try and correct them. And they also <laughs> just post a lot of the – it's half, you know, like a third of it is is posting crap that's posted by other people, like Chuck Schumer and unfortunately Nina Turner in that one case. Um, and then the rest of it is just posting, you know, positive stuff about teaching modern, modern monetary theory. It's basically a whole community of people that want to teach it and learn it. Um so and that leads you to other like Stephanie Kelton cool. and L. Randall Ray and a whole bunch of other really excellent oh, okay. economists. Cool. And it, in fact, a couple of them are in that group and are willing to answer questions and talk to you. And I'm probably going to do an interview. Uh, we'll hopefully, you know, do an interview with one of them. Um, the name two names are uh, Stephen Hale and Fidel Kaboud, two prominent MNT economists that are active in the group. So. Okay, cool. Well, I'm very grateful for you listening. I know a significant amount of this was a lecture and just out of the blue, but um, I'm, I'm really great. <laughs> I, I'm, 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 I'm just, I'm grateful. It's, it's, it's a rare opportunity to have someone that's willing to just take a leap and to just listen and uh, it, to, to be a model for other people to use as a learning tool. It's it's a very unusual opportunity, and I'm glad that you trust me to do that. Well, I'm I'm glad that you took the time to explain it to me, at least the parts that you know. Um, it's definitely a a good starting point, um, and 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 worded in a in a way I think that's maybe easier for me to understand than had I just you know dug into it online myself and read you know. <laughs> straight from economists or something. Hmm. I hope so. But yeah, I definitely am interested to to look into it further. I I wonder I look forward to hearing like you know I mean once you get that central concept of 
federal government creates its own money and all of the things that that logically extends to. Right. And, you know, now when you hear the news, I wonder what's going to start <laughs> to stick out to you. Like, I wonder, you're, you're, right. you know, you'll, you'll start to notice some things, whether it's pay for stuff or the debt or the deficit or, you know, whatever it is. And especially, obviously, if you join the, the that group that I suggested, then, you know, then they'll shove it in your face of like, you know, this is nonsense. <laughs> Let's go in there and try and correct them. Sometimes it's ridiculous because it's just like four million views or something. And sometimes it's it's really reasonable and you actually have a chance to do something. Like one great example, a, a real victory that I personally had with, with a lot of assistance, but I definitely like sort of took the lead on this, which is there's a group called DUH, duh. Demand universal health care. And, you know, they want Medicare for all, which is obviously great, but they also perpetuated all these myths. You know, all these people were saying, I don't want my taxes to pay for the military. I want my taxes to pay for health care. And so we would go in and we'd say, yeah, you guys don't know what you're talking about. And the way that you're talking guarantees that you'll never get Medicare for all. So stop talking about this. Right. You know, don't fall for this pay for <laughs> trap because if you keep doing it, then the exact one thing that's most important to you in life, you will never get. You are sabotaging yourself. You are right. standing on the rope that you are trying to pull. Exactly. And, <laughs> and, um, and they would stop us. This, the moderator of the group would say, stop correcting. You know, this is what the people understand, so we're going to go with it. And <laughs> and then then they said... You can talk about MMT in these officially sanctioned threads where we discuss MMT. Don't make corrections in other threads because it's confusing our members. And I'm like saying, okay, so you're telling them wrong information. Correcting them about wrong information is confusing your members, but giving them correct information, no, no, no. I mean, you know what I mean. It's ridiculous what they were saying. Don't correct them because correcting them is confusing them. So let us confuse if them. You by, satisfy with wrong them in these other threads, mm-hmm. if you satisfy what they think, you know, and affirm what they think in these other threads, they're never going to venture into the MMT explanation threads because they don't they, care because they've already Why had they their curiosity or their concerns answered. Right. So we can talk. <laughs> we can dumb. talk to ourselves. We can talk to the choir and especially saying. So I said, I said to the administrator in a very, you know. I, I'm good with saying strong things in ways that don't piss people off. And I said to the administrator, I said, you know, to say this as high speed as possible, that's ridiculous what you're telling us to do. You don't want us to correct right. your, you don't want us to correct misconceptions because you don't want people to be confused. So you want to confuse people and you don't want us to correct those confusions because it's confused. This just nonsense. And so I started a dialogue, a, per, a private dialogue with this administrator, and it turned out that a, that a week later or a little while later, she sent a meme to me in private and saying, what do you think about this, before she posted it. And it was all about taxes. It was about, you know, people want to, whatever, you're just a tax myth. And I was so, it was such an amazing thing. Like, I reached her. You know, she's the leader of this group. That has 80,000 nice. members, 80,000 members. And I reached the leader wow. of the group. And she passed by misinformation to me, not knowing. 
she said, what do you think about this? And I wrote her back after consulting somebody else that knows more than me. And we just, we, there was no salvaging it. You just, there was nothing you could do. It was just so, it was just so wrong at such a fundamental level that there was no fixing it. But she inspired me to write this wow. article and I wrote it, I wrote an article, which I'll link. It's, it was don't fall for the pay for trap. And it basically introduced MMT without mentioning MMT. Uh, you know, if we could pay for $700 billion for war without ever discussing it and do it immediately, if we can pay for $1.4 trillion in taxes and do it immediately and never discussing it, or certainly never, you know, there was this foregone conclusion, then you can right. be damn sure that we can afford Medicare for all, which is a lot less money. You can be damn sure that we can afford $15 an hour, which is a lot less money and so on. So don't, don't even discuss the pay for question. And she was really excited by that article and she shared it all over the place. She created a meme out of it and shared it in her group. And wow. I saw her just share it just recently. Months later, she shared it again. So nice. That that's like <laughs> the biggest victory that I had. And that's like, that actually created an idea where me and Jeff Ginter actually are starting this program where we are going to go out to the leaders of churches and poverty groups and minority support groups and, and related disadvantaged communities and we are going to teach the leaders modern monetary theory with the goal of oh, being wow. able to with the goal of being able to reach their members and be able to give you know they're not going to let us in if we can't convince the leaders so we're going to go to them first and then if they are cool that then we're going to set up like a seminar or whatever workshop with the people and start to teach modern monetary theory to the most disadvantaged people that we can find and approach it from that completely different direction. So. Very cool. And off topic, what do you, have you heard of, of Homeland Security making a database of all journalists? I've heard of that. Yeah. Does it concern me? Of course it concerns me. Yeah. Do you think this is going to be a way to, um, see, I don't know if it's like to, to, you know, anyone not on the list is going to be, you know, automatically fake news or, or, or what the whole purpose is, but Um, yeah, I found that highly concerning and. I, I mean, I agree. I'm, I'm not particularly concerned about it as far as I, as far as me. Like, I'm such a pissant, you know, whatever. I don't really think I'm, <laughs> you know. I mean, I have 7,500 followers or like, you know, people that like the page. But number one, it's it's just really not going up much anymore. It hasn't been going up for many, many months. Just a crawl. Yeah. And number two, I really rarely reach more than a, I mean, on a, an, a rare post will reach a few hundred people. So I'm reaching like consistently maybe 5% on a good day, 5% mm. of, my, of the people. So, you know, I mean, I, I can't do any better than I'm doing, I don't think, but I don't, I don't. I, is it because of what I published, but you know, progressive stuff or anti-establishment stuff, or I, I can't know. 
I can't know. So I'm not concerned. It makes personally. me wonder how many how many people are checked out and maybe checked back in next major election, which is really sad because if we learned anything, we should have learned that all elections matter. <laughs> I don't take it as the people are stopping the following me. I don't think it's that at all. No. I don't know if that's what you were saying. No, I think it's Facebook. I think it's just a corporate entity. Number one, they make True. money. That they make money by you know promoting your posts, which increases the percentage of your people that like you that see your stuff. I I take it as a total right. corporate corporate suppression kind of a thing. Not necessarily because I'm progressive, but just because they want to make money. I mean, there's probably some right. element of, of progressive, but I mean, I'm not, I'm no, I'm nowhere near like, you know, I don't really, I don't, there's not a lot of anger in what I do. You know what I mean? Like, True. I'm, I'm kind, you know, I mean, I'm kind. There's nothing really that controversial with what I say, or at least how I say it or whatever it is. Like there's so many other people that say it and such stronger ways. You know, basically my yeah. anger trans my anger translators. You know. So <laughs> like, I, I don't think can't. I'm really <laughs> He's 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 been uh kind of squashed on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you I know, know, on a smaller he, scale he, maybe, but but I've experienced it too, just you know, with my artist page. Um to where I've moved my my flash sales off of Facebook because people weren't just weren't seeing them and that's you know a lot of that is because Facebook wants me to have to pay to boost my posts. Yeah. So I know that exists, but I think also if you're like severely political or maybe it's just if you know a lot of people report you as fake news or something, then they squash you. Yeah, I don't know. So I've twice, I've twice or three times I've been put in Facebook jail for basically using. Oh really? Facebook. Yeah, for basically using Facebook, all yeah. three times has just been I've, I've, you know, I, I'm, per, I can only guess that, you know, I have, a, I have a live stream, I share that live stream, you know, it has share to groups. Sometimes it allows you the, F, the, the option to share to groups, and then you just click share, 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 and you can rapid fire to like whatever ten groups, and then I'll be put in right. Facebook jail, and it's like, oh, then why did you offer me that option? And just to put me in jail, why didn't you instead make the buttons? Don't let me click on those buttons. <laughs> if, if you're going to put me in jail, just make the buttons not clickable, or don't make that feature available, or you know, why such extreme? Saying you know, you've reached your limit. You've shared five. No more sharing until tomorrow. Okay. No, instead they just put you in jail for three days. <laughs> it's like so. Why you're, you, I'm using your features you and then they penalize you know, me for using your features. <laughs> I wonder if yeah, I think my mom was even put in Facebook jail for a day because she shares all these, you know, missing kids, missing teens things. And so I think it's maybe an an automatic thing if you share too much too quick or something. I don't know. Yeah, but why? So, but it would be so easy to just make the buttons, you know, keep track of. Okay, five is allowed. And yeah. As soon as you do five, okay. Now we're gonna go no more to the button. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Ghost the buttons. Exactly. <laughs> but no, let's just put him in jail for three days. And what am I learning here? What What is your limit? What are the, What limit did I did I exceed? You're not teaching me anything. And I, but I do wonder if, if if being reported has something to do with it. 
I wonder. Like, did someone Maybe. just want to? Did someone just be a jerk and just report me? And Facebook just blindly trusts them? I have no idea. So, we got a report from this group. You know, warning, whatever. I mean, obviously, there's so many easy ways to whatever. But, but it's back to your original question, which is this: this keeping track of journalists. I am not personally worried about that. I, I personally, I'm such a small player. I mean, that's I'm yeah. nothing. I'm nothing. As far as home, but in theory, it's it's concerning that no, it's absolutely. being done to me. Yeah, no, yeah. Oh, no, no. I, yeah, no. I I totally agree with that. I yeah, absolutely. It's terrible. But there's a million terrible things going on. So that's not oh, yeah. that's that's not <laughs> up in the top ten for me. As far as journalism is concerned, there's there's much more devastating things: net neutrality, um, you know, Facebook su- yeah. direct Facebook suppression, not of me, but of you know, uh, YouTube suppression of Jimmy Dore and all that stuff at Lee Camp. Yeah. Really terrible stuff. Um, so. Do you, do you like Lee Camp? Do you watch him? Um, I, I, I haven't been watching him as much lately. Um, I do like him. I do ag- agree with him on, on, you know, like the major stuff. I watched him a lot more during the whole Bernie thing. Um, hmm. But and there was a while where I, I, I didn't know where I was on this whole Russia thing, like whether I believed it or not believed it. or hmm. and, and he was like really going on about it. And, and then they started, or, because RT is like where his, is like producing his stuff or I don't know. There was some connection with RT. So he started being accused of being like working for the Russians, you know? Well, he (laughs) technically is. I don't know. So I I haven't actually watched for a while, huh? He is working for the Russians because he's on RT. He's paid by the Russians, (laughs) but that doesn't, I, I don't personally like him. I don't think he's very funny, but that doesn't mean, I think generally what he says is the truth. I just right. don't personally choose to watch him. I find Jimmy Dore much more entertaining. But I think Lee Camp, the, what I know about him, he seems to tell the truth. He seems to tell the truth. Um, yeah. And he really, he really, he pushes issues. Like he, he pushed the Russia stuff way before other people did, at least as hard as he does. Um, so I, I do know my view on, on Russia. I can say it fast. I, I don't. Okay, Russ, I I think something happened in the 2016 election, but not that big of a deal. Certainly infinitesimal compared to the Democratic Party. I think the Russian narrative yes. is not to determine what happened in 2016. It is in preparation for 2020 to call people like us Russian stooges or its useful idiots. And to an even more extreme extent, I think it is also for the for the possibility they're starting to say russia decided not just influenced but actually decided for trump to be elected which implies that now they're using it in preparation for the small chance that bernie wins to invalidate that win to not just crush dissent during the election bernie bernie people but to also invalidate undo a win if he wins that's what i think it's for right and I hope you're I hope you're wrong about that. I hope it's to invalidate Trump. But oh, yeah, I hadn't I hadn't way. actually thought about it as 
as planning for a potential Bernie win. Um, or, I think or it's even, more, you know, to attack I us. I think it's way more. I think not, I think 75 to 90% of it is to crush the Bernie campaign and all of the supporters. Bernie and all of the supporters. Now, see, I, thought, the, I initially the, thought it was just wagging the dog. I don't know what that. So is. that everyone would would not pay any attention to anything that went on that the that the DNC did and the whole lawsuit happening and that it was just simply to muddy the waters and put focus on this potentially little crumb, you know, and blow it up so that nobody pays attention to what the Democratic Party actually did. I think that's an excellent byproduct of what they did. I think that was a conscious decision of, oh, yeah, and if we do this, then, you know, they'll be distracted. It's a a distraction from scrutinizing the Democratic Party, absolutely. But I think the long-term, the short-term strategy is that, I think. That's the short-term strategy, distract from criticizing us. The long-term strategy is crushing the Bernie campaign. That's the majority of it. And in the extreme is to invalidate a win. Yeah. So, yeah, long road ahead, but it, at least there's hope. I hope it's, you know... I think he has a better chance. Sooner rather than later. Huh? I think he has, I think he has a better chance. I think I think corruption is going to go up because he has a better... I mean, that's, that's why the Russians happening, because they're afraid that he has a better chance. Um, and, you know, the stupid DNC rule that just came that just was created of you have to be a Democrat thing just a couple of days ago. You know about that? I I saw the headline, but I thought it was the same thing that was actually not a thing because it was the same condition that why he became a Democrat to run last time. I think it, I didn't know it, that they actually made anything the really new. I think it's, I think it is basically the same thing. It's just more overt. And I, I think I don't think it really changes as far as him running. I think it just riles up all of the people who have always said, "Well, he's not even a Dem. He's not even a Democrat." That's true. And it's just going to make them even angrier because now he's breaking this yeah. more overt rule about it. I think it's just riling up mm. people who have already disliked him to, to try and dislike him even more. Um, I, I lost why I was saying that, but all right. Yeah, I know I know people that are still mad that, you know, he dared to play in, in the Democratic sandbox, so I'm not looking yeah. forward to the next election. I've got, you know, like three different directions, the political directions in my family. So things right. got pretty tense there for a while, yeah. What do you mean, your husband I have or Trump you mean voters like your in my family? Parents. I have Hillary voters in my family. Parents, siblings what about and your other things, yes. Um He's true blue. He's true, true blue. Hillary. Yes. N- not Bernie. Wow. That's hard. Uh, well, it was Bernie until it couldn't be Bernie, and then it was Hillary. Oh, well, okay. That's something. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I was going to say, I, I think he has a better chance because of the Parkland teenagers and obviously because of his, he's the most popular politician and his name recognition. Um, I think yeah. he has a better chance, which is why it's all ramping up. Oh, and that's why I was saying the, DNC, the new stupid DNC rule. Um, 
you know, because he has a better chance, which is why the rest of stuff, so they has to be stronger. And net neutrality, so because the Internet was such a big part of his win, or, or his, oh, yeah, his momentum. So, yeah. Oh, well, I don't, I mean, I'm not going to have, I'm going to be working full time, so I'm, I quit my job to work for him last time, and I maxed out, I maxed out my donations to him, which I, one time in my life that I could afford it when I was working as a high paying job. And I have a right. feeling that that's why I got this Our Revolution book a few days ago from the campaign. Oh, oh nice. <laughs> yeah, I posted it. It was, I got an a, Our Revolution book with a note from Bernie. Just a nice, whatever, pre, pre-printed note from him and then a post-it note pre-printed, but whatever. It was, it was nice though. It was cool to, just a few days yeah. ago, just received it out of the blue from the campaign. Why? I don't know. <laughs> but I have a feeling it was because cool. maybe I maxed out. I don't know. But I, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that <laughs> next time. But anyway. All right. Well, it was it was nice talking to you for the first time, and I'm really grateful for you just, you know, listening for a lot of it. Oh, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you doing this. Gosh, it must be really late where you are now. <laughs> it is eleven thirteen. Right? I have to get up at six for work. Oh goodness. But. Okay, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice talking to you too, Jeff. Yes. And uh, I will see you back online. I'm glad that you are my Facebook friend and a little tiny bit Twitter friend. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Jeff. See you later. Bye-bye.